Right, let's move on because um, the American presidential election is going to take place in the first week of November, always the first week of November. And um, it's a very strange election so far because normally we would be talking about exciting primaries, who's going to get the nomination? And it all seems to be sewed up, or sewn up rather. But on Tuesday, it's Super Tuesday, and um, quite a few states are nominally going to the polls but we all know what the result is going to be on the republican side donald trump has basically trumped the pardon the pun trumped the whole of the rest of the republican party nikki haley is staying in the race but i think more in hope than expectation i mean she must be staying in because she thinks that donald trump could be sent to prison and i, I just don't think any political party in america even the republican party in the state that it's in could I imagine that there would be um, a, a presidential candidate fighting the election from a prison cell. I mean, that, that really would be uh, uh, quite unbelievable, wouldn't it? Now, um, th so this hour, I want to talk about the presidential election. I want to get your views on what's happening, what you think will happen. I want to have your questions, because we have with us LBC's US correspondent Simon Marks, who joins us live from Washington, D.C. And we are streaming this hour live. We're hoping to get Simon on video very soon, but there's, apparently there's a bit of a, a minor technical issue, so we've just got him on audio at the moment. But that, that will suffice, Simon, I guess. I've got a face for radio, Ian. Well, me too. I mean, that's quite, quite <laughs> obvious, something we have in common. <laughs> now, um, before we start talking about the presidential election, Joe Biden had his annual medical yesterday. Uh, I haven't seen anything about this as to what the results were. Can you enlighten us? Well, we have not yet seen ah. the detailed results from the White House physician, although they have been promised. What we do know is that President Biden, when he emerged from that rather surprise uh, visit to Walter Reed uh, Medical uh, Hospital just outside Washington, D.C. yesterday, uh, insisted that everything had gone absolutely swimmingly. Uh, they say I'm even younger than I was a year ago, joked the president as he left the facility. It then uh, emerged that uh, he had not undergone any kind of cognitive test mm. during uh, the course of this Surprise. annual physical. According to uh, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, both the president's physician and his neurologist deemed that there was no need for the president to undergo a cognitive test. And as uh, she insisted from the White House podium 20 24 hours ago. You can see every day that he doesn't need to take a cognitive test because of the Herculean statesmanlike way in which he's handling uh, all of the enormous issues besetting the nation. Now, of course, this has opened uh, the avenue for Republicans and particularly for Donald Trump uh, to turn on President Biden and argue that they were afraid of putting him to a cognitive test, given that uh, three weeks ago or so, the special prosecutor, Robert Hur who was investigating Joe Biden's alleged mishandling of classified documents decided that he wasn't going to bring legal charges, criminal uh, charges against uh, President Biden because uh, during interviews with investigators and also uh, conversations with uh, a ghostwriter of a book that President Biden was working on uh, back in 2017 uh, the President had uh, evinced uh, a fading memory and the special prosecutor concluded
concluded that any criminal charges uh, would simply de be defended by the president's attorneys uh, on the basis that he didn't remember that he had classified documents in his personal residence and his garage. So, no cognitive test for President Biden, apparently absolutely fit as a fiddle, according to the White House, raring to go uh, for November's presidential election and eager to stay in power until he is 86. Well, that's settled then. Um, All sorted. I Nothing mean, to see it's here. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Well, and of course, it's just worth making the point, Ian, that this happened on the day that Mitch McConnell, the Senate uh, Republican leader, aged 82, uh, took to the well of the Senate to announce that he's standing down from his leadership position on Capitol Hill because, in his words, it is time for a new generation of leadership. Now, it was coincidental that while uh, Mitch McConnell was on his feet in the Senate yesterday, Joe Biden was uh, at uh, Walter Reed Medical Center having his annual physical, but it really did underscore that at least on Capitol Hill, one of America's uh, members of the gerontocracy here had decided it was time to step back. Another one, a year younger than Senator McConnell, albeit without the same health uh, problems that uh, have exhibited themselves uh, with Senator McConnell over the last few months, Joe Biden has decided that it is absolutely not yet time for a new generation of leadership here. And there are many Democrats who, of course, fault him for that. And are they being vocal? Yes, well, I mean, they are being uh, vocal, uh, as vocal as they can be. They're perhaps not being quite as vocal as they were uh, back in the summer and autumn of last year, when I think many of the younger cadre of Democrats hoped that Joe Biden was going to reach a different conclusion about his intention uh, to seek a second four-year term in the Oval Office. He is, of course, facing a primary challenger in the form of Minnesota uh, Congressman Dean Phillips, uh, who has specifically said that he does not think Joe Biden can win in November and that it is absolutely time to pass the torch to a younger generation and Dean Phillips counts himself as part of that younger generation but he's getting nowhere in the primaries that's partly because the White House has uh, moved heaven and earth to try and make sure that the elites of the Democratic Party stay on Joe Biden's side and back him to the hilt it's also he's getting nowhere because he's just not a particularly effective campaigner and he's not getting his message across but certainly there are all sorts of runners and riders quietly still gargling in the wings off stage because who knows what might happen between now and november and whether at some point president biden or the two key women in his life first lady jill biden and the president's sister valerie have some kind of a rethink look at the polls and see that things remain as grim as they currently are and like many other Democrats, question whether Joe Biden should stay in the race, given that the way things currently stand, he is looking at a substantial possibility of defeat. Well, you and I were both at the same event where I became Valerie Biden's new <laughs> yes, best friend that's right, about a year ago. So I you haven't mentioned that before. No, I, I haven't. Why not. No, no, no. no. I, really? don't, I don't like to name mm, drop too extraordinary. much. Extraordinary. Not too but, much. But um, I think I might need to uh, drop her a little line with a little bit should. of advice and see Absol what she says. You could, change every you could change the course of history <laughs> and not in your case for the first time. <laughs> um, let's, before we go to calls, let's just have a, a brief word about Donald Trump's cognitive... Cognitive... I can't say the word... <laughs> Can you say it? Go on. Cognitive. Thank Cognitive you. abilities. Powers. Yes. Well, because, I mean, he, he's had a few um, misspeaks, hasn't he? 
He's had lots of misspeaks, uh, particularly most recently when he confused on multiple occasions during a speech uh, Nikki Haley, his remaining challenger in what I suppose we should never really have called the race for the Republican uh, Party's presidential nomination. He confused it with Nancy Pelosi and seemed to intimate that Nikki Haley had played some role on January the 6th, 2021 in failing to secure Congress adequately to resist the hordes of Donald Donald Trump supporters who, of course, forced their way into the building. Nikki Haley had absolutely nothing to do with it. He meant Nancy Pelosi. He has slurred his speech at times uh, during campaign addresses. There's been uh, one uh, 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 psychologist who has examined all of this, a Canadian, uh, who in the last few days said that he believes that Donald Trump's cognitive uh, capacities are slipping faster than Joe Biden's. But look, Donald Trump is 78. Joe Biden is 81. Joe Biden is visibly slowing down and aging in front of our eyes to an extent that Donald Trump is not. And when the White House pushes back at these suggestions that Joe Biden, never mind the cognitive stuff, just in terms of physical stuff, Joe Biden is obviously slowing down and then confusing Angela Merkel with Helmut Kohl or easily done. Francois, very easy, Francois Mitterrand with Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron. They then blame the media and say it's the media that's blowing all of this out of proportion. What the White House essentially is doing is saying to voters, do not believe what you, the voters, are seeing with your own eyes. Yeah. And that's hugely problematic for the White House position. Now, I haven't been clever enough to think up a name for this hour. It could be speak to Simon, moan at marks, um, anything. <laughs> but uh, Simon is here to answer your calls on any aspect of American politics. It doesn't have to be about the presidential election, I guess, but that's, I, I think, the, the main topic for tonight. And you can, of course, phone 0345 6060973. Use that number also to WhatsApp, WhatsApp us. God, I'm getting my words muddled tonight. I feel like Joe Biden. It's almost, almost appropriate, isn't it, in this hour? I'm going to say something very inappropriate soon, if I haven't already. Um, you can also say, Alexa, send a comment to LBC. We'll come to your calls. We'll come to your questions in just a moment. It's 16 minutes past eight. LBC. Ian Dale on LBC. With SimpsonTravel.com. Specialists in luxury Mediterranean holidays. 19 minutes past eight on LBC. Simon Marks is with us, taking your calls and answering your questions about American politics. Someone's, two people have said, um, Simon Says, that's what we should call it. We all played that as kids, didn't we? Um, right, let's go to a text question from Sam in Cambridge. I just don't understand why the Democrats don't stand Biden down and select someone younger and more mentally with it. I think the Democrats have got no chance with Biden as their candidate. I mean, what, is there a procedure or does it just rely on Joe Biden to say, um, OK, I've made a decision. Well, there is a procedure, as you know, constitutionally, uh, Ian, the cabinet could go to Joe Biden uh, under the 14th Amendment and say, it's time for you to step aside. But I think we are, uh, that, that, that's light years away from happening. There's no indication whatsoever that that might occur. The difficulty really is that unless a substantial number of leading Democrats put open public pressure on Joe Biden to walk away, it's very difficult to envisage him voluntarily doing so. And the reason I say that in answer to, to the point Sam is raising is that Joe Biden views himself as indispensable. 
uh, he decided to run for the presidency in 2016 when he wasn't planning to run for the presidency. Uh, uh, sorry, in 2020, when he wasn't planning to run for the presidency. Uh, and he did so as a result uh, of the protests in Charlottesville by far-right uh, demonstrators, the clashes that occurred there, uh, and just the sheer sense that there were neo-Nazis on the streets of America. And he thought that the stakes were simply too high. Uh, for America, and he needed to get back into the political game. Remember that his son, Beau Biden, had died, which took him out of contention in the, in the 2016 presidential election. That's why you ended up with a Hillary Clinton-Donald Trump uh, uh, matchup uh, in 2016 that Donald Trump, of course, won. So Joe Biden, at that point, thought his career was over. Then he decided he had to get back into the game. And he thought that in 2020, he had vanquished uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and as a result, by the time 2024 rolled around, most people assumed that Joe Biden planned to be a one-term president. Kamala Harris was there. He would hand the reins over to her by 2024. And all would be well in the Democratic Party's world. And then, of course, it became apparent that Donald Trump had not only failed to melt away and the Republican Party had not returned to anything approximating uh, orthodox Republican politics and the party of Ronald Reagan, but in fact Donald Trump was continuing to act as the de facto leader of the opposition in a country that has no leader of the opposition role. And so I think Joe Biden has concluded that he didn't finish the job of vanquishing Trump and he wants to do that this time round and he absolutely thinks that because of his depth of experience and uh, the nature of his political career he is indispensable to the task now i'm not okay. thinking i don't think that's a, a correct conclusion to draw but that's the mindset in which he he finds himself now i'm going to play paxman here because i need shorter answers simon because we've got so many questions coming You've in got it. and we want to get through as many as possible let's go to jerry in burton upon trent jerry hi Oh, hi, Simon. Hi, Ian. Hi. Um, from the obvious abuse of power by the Democrats in the States, um, I would like to know from Simon, which of all the uh, uh, charges that uh, Trump faces does he consider to be the most egregious, perhaps the one that might stand out as being the most damning uh, in terms of uh, having to account? Because of all the charges that, and the legal cases I've seen so far, um, the cases are, well, to say the very least, somewhat flimsy. So I kind of wondered which one did he feel okay. that, that the Democrats could nail. Simon? Uh, Jerry, it's a good question. I think that uh, there's no question that it's the two federal cases that Donald Trump is facing that are the most problematic for him. And uh, one of those, of course, relates to the mishandling of classified documents. The other, more serious one, is the set of charges on election interference. Those are, I think, more likely to uh, advance to trial and be fruitful for prosecutors than the Georgia case on election interference, because that's running into all sorts of difficulties uh, for deep reasons we don't have to go into now, involving the prosecutor's uh, personal relationship uh, with uh, the district attorney in Fulton County. And then the fourth charge that he faces relates to hush money payments to Stormy Daniels up in New York. That's absolutely the least serious of uh, the cases that he faces. And, and it's the seriousness of those federal charges on election interference that Donald Trump has his focus on. And that's why I think yesterday was a very good day for the former president when the Supreme 
Supreme Court announced it's going to hear his claim of immunity against those charges because whether the Supreme Court appeal that Donald Trump is mounting is successful or not, the decision to take the case by the Supreme Court further delays Donald Trump's date in the dock and increasingly it looks unlikely that that case is going to come to trial before November's election and that of course is exactly the outcome that Donald Trump currently wants. Okay, Jerry, thank you very much. Let's go to Richard in Hackney. Richard, hello. Hello, Ian. Hello, Simon. Excuse my voice, I'm I'm losing it. Uh, Is it the case that any other Republican candidate would automatically beat Biden and that any other Democratic candidate would automatically beat Trump? Oh, now that's a good question. Um, I don't think it's the case that any other Democratic candidate could automatically beat Biden because there is another Democratic candidate, Dean Phillips, as I was saying, and he's not beating Joe Biden. Now, whether uh, there was a primary contest that pitched Joe Biden against some of the party's more popular figures like uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, or Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, that, I think, would be an open question. We don't know the answer to that because it's not happening and it's not going to happen. It's too late for that kind of a challenge to occur even if they were thinking of mounting one. Uh, as for whether uh, the issue of uh, Donald Trump is beatable or not, I mean, it is perfectly possible to advance the argument that Joe Biden is the only Democrat of the leading runners and riders in the race, uh, the potential race for the Democratic Party's nomination, uh, who could lose to Donald Trump. I mean, I think Kamala Harris uh, is likely to lose to Donald Trump as well, the polls currently show, but there are other figures that in matchups would uh, beat Donald Trump. Now, what happens if you ended up, uh, and this isn't going to happen either, with a match, a matchup between Joe Biden and Nikki Haley? That gets uh, more interesting. That, I think, is going to be a, a closer outcome than a matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Uh, but look, where things stand right now, February the 29th, uh, we are eight months away from the election, and it still looks like this is going to be a rematch between Biden and Trump. Uh, the polling suggests that Trump wins. That polling is not universally uh, agreed on that point, but m- much of the polling suggests that Donald Trump would win that matchup. And unless there's some dramatic, unexpected, unforeseen development between now and November, uh, those are the two candidates that the country is stuck with. And there are millions of Americans out there who would infinitely prefer that there were other candidates running, but that in a nation of 300 million people, that's the matchup that currently seems likely. Richard, thank you. Ivan says, who does Simon think Trump's running mate will be? Uh, I think that's a fascinating question. Um, and there, he has uh, sort of indicated that there are half a dozen people that he's thinking about, although the names were all put to him during a Fox News town hall by a Fox News presenter. They weren't names that he uh, offered up. Uh, I think there's no question that he would be looking uh, at the possibility of Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, uh, the only African-American member of the Republican caucus in the Senate, uh, definitely an interesting 
interesting potential choice. Uh, the other figure from South Carolina that he might vaguely think about is Nikki Haley, although both of them have completely ruled that can, out. Yes, I think we can all rule that out. Yeah, we? I think we can, although there, there is still a bit of chatter going on in Washington about whether this isn't all a bit of a kabuki show and that eventually maybe they will seek to unite the Republican Party by coming together. But they have expressed so much rancor for one another that it would be difficult, I think, to bury that hatchet. Uh, there are other people out there, uh, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik uh, of New York, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Congresswoman uh, from Georgia, uh, an array of figures on the right uh, that are utterly supportive of Donald Trump's Make America Great Again movement. And I think the important thing to know going into the selection of the vice president and then potentially the formation of a government is that Donald Trump has learned a lesson from his first term in power. He doesn't want to compromise uh, on political uh, veterans, people who understand the system. He wants to surround himself with ideological purists, absolutely proven loyalists of his Make America Great Again movement. And so I think that may end up playing into the calculation that he does as he makes that vice presidential pick. Just before we go to the news, Chris has got a call for a question. Can you ask Simon the following? Will Trump be only able to serve for one term since he's already served one term? Yes, he will only be able to serve for one term because uh, you can do two terms, uh, even if they are divided by uh, a four-year interregnum, you only get two. It's a, it's a one-shot deal for him. Well, that's a relief for us all, I suppose. Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. If you would like to question marks, get it. Ugh. News headlines with Daryl Jackson. Wayne Cousins was free to abduct, rape and murder Sarah Everard because red flags throughout his career were ignored and investigations exposed how background checks failed to pick up on incidents, including an allegation of indecent exposure in 2015. Top diplomats from the UN are calling for an urgent meeting over reports that at least 112 people have been killed in Gaza during an aid delivery. The health ministry in the territory says Israeli troops opened fire at people trying to lift food from trucks. Israel's militaries denied that. And the Prince of Wales has condemned anti-Semitism, saying it has no place in society. William has been meeting young people at a synagogue in London. LBC weather mainly dry and cold tonight. Some rain in the southwest and south Wales in the early hours. And a low of minus three. LBC. Ian Dale on LBC. With SimpsonTravel.com. For luxury villas and boutique hotels. 8.34 on LBC. Uh, we have Simon Marks with us live from Washington. We now have him live in vision. So if you're watching on Global Player, you can see his very handsome physog. And hopefully that will inspire you to ask a brilliant question. David's in Uxbridge. Hi, David. Yeah, hi, Ian, and hi, Simon. My question is really about... I think you could probably agree that both candidates are pretty poor quality for different reasons. And given that, will that... <coughs> further undermine America's sort of status as the global leadership. My view is I think people are moving, they're looking elsewhere anyway for different reasons. But given, you know, people looking at Trump and his dubious character and Biden with cognitive decline, does it, will that further undermine American status as a global sort of superpower and, and leadership in the, so, the world? I'm not talking about Britain, you know, they'll always go away America, but I'm talking about countries and non-aligned global south, you know, the rising powers are starting to look elsewhere for leadership. Do you think 
the, okay. the, the character of the, the yeah, the, the, the candidates yeah. that further undermines that, yeah. Yeah, David, I think it's a great question. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time actually last year traveling not in the United States, but to parts of the global south. Uh, and there is no question that there is a massive gulf in the way in which America already sees itself and the way in which so many other parts of the world see the United States. And one of the contributory factors is clearly the fact that we have ended up with an election here that at the moment is a rematch of 2020, pitching these two elderly gentlemen against one another at a time when one voter in five now tells pollsters they would much rather have a completely different set of choices to make. But also playing into that, I think, is that, you know, it's very hard to define what the major uh, campaign issues are in this election. Uh, clearly, the economy. We know that the Republicans are going to do whatever they can to make the immigration crisis on America's southern border the pivotal issue at this very moment. Both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are visiting uh, the southern border, not together, not in the same place at the same time, but that gives you a sense of how important that issue is domestically here. But, you know, there are a vast array of issues that the country is not addressing. Uh, including uh, issues like uh, the fact that the New York Times today on its front page is reporting that the east coast of the United States is sinking as a result uh, of climate change and the ground pumping of water that's taking place here. There's no discussion of that. We saw that very dramatic hearing recently on Capitol Hill about the pernicious nature of social media. No real discussion about social media regulation taking place here. This is not an election campaign that is currently in many ways connecting with American families, it is an election campaign that inevitably, because of the way Donald Trump engages in politics, going to become an absolute slanging match. We may not even see debates between these two candidates, and the rest of the world is going to look at that, I think, and say that American democracy is not what it used to be. Let me slip in a question here. Is there any chance of a third party candidate emerging, or an independent? Yeah, well, there are third-party candidates already. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running now uh, as a third-party, uh, almost libertarian candidate, although there is separately a libertarian party uh, candidate by the name of Chase Oliver. Uh, and there is a real possibility that an organization called No Labels, which bills itself uh, as an independent organization that believes that America's problems can only be solved by its leaders coming together, it may field a presidential candidate. I think one of the interesting questions is whether Nikki Haley might be thinking about some kind of a third party run. Liz Cheney, the former Republican congresswoman from Wyoming, has said she will make a decision later this year about whether she wants to mount any kind of third party run. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is going to be very interesting to keep an eye on because if this is a tight election between Biden and Trump, Every single vote is going to count. And if he walks away with five, six, seven percent of the vote in November, he could make all the difference to one of those candidates, uh, essentially becoming uh, the kingmaker in this election. Hard to, to, to figure out exactly where he pulls more support from uh, recalcitrant Democrats or uncomfortable Republicans. But he's definitely a factor in the race. He's got some pretty strange views, though, hasn't he? 
very strange views. Very, very strange views about, uh, of course, uh, a whole variety of different issues. He is uh, something of a conspiracy theorist, a proven conspiracy theorist uh, on the issue of COVID-19. He is a known vaccine sceptic. Uh, he himself, sensing that immigration is going to be a big issue, called yesterday for America's border with Mexico to be sealed. Uh, he also, on the other side of uh, the uh, accounting ledger, uh, has a long track record as an environmentalist. And that appeals uh, to uh, many people who believe that the country should be doing more okay. uh, about climate change. But yes, he's definitely a curious, uh, a curious cat. Shahid's in Hamel Hempstead. Hi, Shahid. Yeah, hi. Um, I've got three questions regarding the voting selection process. And what I mean by that is that I've followed these events for 20 years and they never ever explained for foreign viewers how do the primaries and caucuses work. I imagine it sounds like every voter in each state gets to vote um, for maybe both parties' candidate or who they want the candidate to be in, you know, in each state. But they also say they have to be registered as a you know, Republican, Democrat or independent. So I wanted to ask about that. And the other question was, like, you know, do a vote, does a voter get to vote on both parties' candidate or do they vote for an independent or can they only vote for one? And the final question is, is like, say if Trump or Biden wins, um, you know, all these like delegation votes, does anyone in each, these, each of these parties have the power to expel them, saying, I don't think you're good enough or, you know, you breached um, um, you know, party rules and I want you out? Um, or is it a committee? You know, who has that power to expel a candidate or what do they, they dare do then? Shahid, I thought you were going to ask me about the Electoral College, but we'll wait for that until later in the year. Uh, the primaries are fascinating uh, because, remember, there is no nationally organised election here. Everything is governed by each individual state, and the primaries in each individual state are ruled and governed by the Secretary of State in each individual state. In 26 of America's 50 states, you don't have to be a registered Republican to vote in the Republican primary or a registered Democrat to vote in the Democrat primary. There is the possibility in those states for some non party members, if you like, non-affiliated voters with that particular party to vote in that party's primary. And that really muddies the waters. Nikki Haley has actually made a thing of that because, for example, in South Carolina, her home state, Democrats and independents can participate in the Republican primary. And many of them did. Her performance in South Carolina would have been even worse had it not been for her ability to appeal to Democrats and independents to vote in the Republican primary. Uh, on the issue of uh, whether everybody gets to vote, I mean, that, that depends state by state. As I say, in over half the country, uh, you don't necessarily have to be affiliated with a party to vote. On the issue of the delegates that then go to the nominating conventions and will be in Milwaukee in July for the Republican convention, then will be in Chicago in August for the Democratic Party's convention, uh, there are, again, various rules of the road but there are delegates that are free from some states to abandon the candidate that they were pledged to support and to pick another candidate if they want to. And then there are some delegates, for example, from the recent Michigan primary, that are uncommitted 
to Joe Biden, participated in the Democratic Party primary, and their support will potentially be up for grabs when the Democrats meet in Chicago. So it all depends on each individual state, uh, which is one of the reasons why this is so confusing and difficult often to explain to an international audience. Right. Uh, in two minutes, we're going to have five quickfire questions, Simon. That is your challenge. The clock starts now. Denise in Staines, can I ask how to get a ticket to a Trump rally or convention? Uh, for the for a Trump rally, uh, you can uh, sign up to the Trump mailing list and apply for tickets as the details come out. Uh, the convention is more complicated. You really need to work through a state Republican Party in order to try and secure convention tickets for the joys of being in Milwaukee in July. Albert says, Trump, if elected, will probably try to change the Constitution so as to allow him to serve further terms. What would it take for him to achieve this? Well, changing the Constitution is an absolutely massive task. It requires an amendment to the Constitution uh, that has then to be debated by every single state legislature. Uh, I think two-thirds of them have to uh, agree to pass it before it then uh, advances. That would take an age to uh, achieve. It, were he to want to go extra-constitutional, uh, as Albert suggests, uh, there are voices here that think it is much more likely that he would simply suspend the Constitution than try to change it. Peter in Portsmouth, what if Biden wins the presidency and the day after he resigns and Kamala Harris takes over? He could do it. He absolutely could do it. And that is why Republicans are uh, consistent in saying a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for a Kamala Harris presidency because they believe that even if Biden didn't do it on day one, at some point during a second term, he might hand the keys of the Oval Office over. Owen in France says, how does Trump win if 65% of independents and 25% of Republicans, as they've said to pollsters, will vote for Biden? It's an absolutely huge question facing uh, the Trump campaign. He keeps saying that the Republican Party has never been more unified. In fact, we know that there are substantial numbers of Republicans out there who are never Trumpers, who say under no circumstances will they vote for him uh, in November. And, uh, you know, I think the outcome of this election in many ways hinges on are there more never-Trumpers out there, or are there more Democrats who decide to stay home and sit on their hands because they are unenthused by Joe Biden and his record? You've got 20 seconds. Mike in Tunbridge Wells, would Trump being president again destroy America as we know it? <laughs> A definite maybe, Mike. <laughs> And he's made it. Five questions in twenty <laughs> in two minutes. He didn't think he could do it. I didn't think he could do it. You didn't think he could do it. But he has. We've got 15 more minutes. We'll come to more of your questions for Simon Marks in just a moment. It's 8.46. LBC. Ian Dale on LBC. With SimpsonTravel.com. Plan your 2024 holiday now. 8.48. Simon Marks is in Washington. I'm in London. He's got the answers. I don't. Kevin is in Dartmouth. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Son. Um, oh, no, he's not in Dartmouth. He's in Dar <laughs> on Dartmoor. Yeah, well, near to it, near to it. Um, it's my, my question for Simon is, does he think that the uh, Supreme Court is corrupt? He, he, he could be struck down if he says yes. 
Well, there are certainly elements of the Supreme Court that have been accused of being corruptible, uh, particularly, of course, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, and uh, that has led to uh, Chief Justice John Roberts uh, d detailing and publishing a new code of conduct for Supreme Court justices. Justice Thomas has been accused of uh, accepting a, a whole load of blandishments from a friend of the family who happens to be one of America's uh, wealthiest individuals. Uh, so I think that there is no question that the Supreme Court is uh, currently looking like a grubbier institution than it has in the past, and that's due to the conduct uh, of a couple of justices on the bench. And as I say, that has led to uh, a response by the Chief Justice of the United States who has said, we can't carry on like this. There has to be a code of conduct that everybody has to uh, sign on to. If your question is more political in nature, nature, is the Supreme Court as an institution susceptible to uh, influence uh, in terms of some of the cases that it's about to hear about Donald Trump, for example, given that the majority uh, of Supreme Court justices were nominated by Republicans and three of the nine were nominated by Donald Trump himself. I think that's a harder case to make. I mean, Supreme, the Supreme Court is one of the most fascinating institutions in any country, I think, and certainly here in the United United States, and there have been many presidents who made appointments to the Supreme Court thinking they knew what they were going to get, and then were very disappointed by the performance of the men and women they placed on the bench because they weren't as politically committed as they hoped that they might be. But in terms of day-to-day -day conduct, definitely grubbier than it used to be. Thank you very much for your question, Kevin. Let's go to uh, Laka in Leytonstone. That alliterates, doesn't it? Hello, Laka. Hi, Ian. Hi, Simon. Uh, thanks for taking my call. It's just a quick one from my end. Um, all the polls and opinion polls which I see with regards to the elections in the United States talk about people voting. But nothing is there about the electoral college system which is there, which you, which you kind of wanted to touch upon. But I can't see anything around that. Is there something which you know, which, which you can share? Well, that... Lacquer, I never want to touch on the Electoral College. It is every foreign correspondent's nightmare here that every four years the day comes when we have to explain the Electoral College uh, to audiences overseas. The Electoral College for the uninitiated is this middleman that sits between the voters and the outcome of the presidential election. Each individual state uh, sends electors to the Electoral College that relate to the outcome of the election in that individual state. Uh, but as we saw in 2020, when Donald Trump uh, had a plan to send a raft of alternate electors uh, as part and parcel of his uh, completely unfounded view that the 2020 presidential election was rigged in Joe Biden's favor, the Electoral College itself is not a particularly democratic institution. It's one of the oddities uh, of the United States that it portrays itself as a beacon of democracy, but its presidential election is not a direct election. Everything flows through the Electoral College. Now, under normal circumstances, 99 elections out of 100, the Electoral College is a rubber stamp. It's never been the kind of lightning rod that it has become as a result of Donald Trump's efforts to kind of weaponize it. And I suspect in a close election in November, we could be seeing a lot more of that this year. 
Uh, thank you very much for that. A couple of texts here. Anthony in North Yorkshire on WhatsApp says, will Roe versus Wade have an effect on the election? Just explain what Roe versus Wade is briefly. Yeah, so Roe versus Wade was the 1973 Supreme Court decision that kept abortion legal uh, from coast to coast. And, of course, it was overturned by uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, with its new Republican majority several months ago. And, yes, the answer to that question is absolutely. We are seeing it play out every day here. You will have seen the decision in Alabama last week uh, relating to IVF, saying that embryos should be afforded the same legal rights as children. Interestingly, Republicans in Alabama today have uh, enshrined legal protections uh, for IVF, put those in place because they sensed that this was a, a disastrous uh, place for the Alabama Supreme Court to have gone right now, eight months before an election. Democrats say this is all the beginning of uh, an effort by Donald Trump and the Republicans to implement a government founded on the principles of Christian nationalism, to run roughshod over the uh, traditional separation between church and state uh, in the United States. And you're going to see and hear Democrats focusing relentlessly again and again and again on the threat that they say Republicans pose not only on the abortion issue, but to general uh, privacy issues in uh, voters' homes, because Democrats believe that that is one of the ways in which they're going to mobilize people to turn out on Joe Biden's side in November. Uh, David is in Victoria. Hi, David. Hi, good evening. Um, I'm fascinated how Donald Trump can claim to be above the law. He, his defense of this court case is that when he's president, nothing matters. He can do what he likes. So how, how, how does that work? Well, it doesn't work so far, David, because the Court of Appeals here in Washington, D.C. said, no, you don't enjoy blanket immunity uh, as president for everything that you do as president of the United States. One of the legal arguments that they discussed was if Donald Trump had uh, ordered SEAL Team 6 to go and assassinate a political rival, would he be hands-free, you know, hands guilt-free, no issues there then, uh, according to his lawyers? Now, that's the issue that the Supreme Court is going to de determine here. And it's an important issue for the Supreme Court to rule on because there's no precedent on it. And the reason why there's no precedent on it is because no sitting or former president of the United States has ever previously faced criminal charges. So we'll see where the Supreme Court comes down on it, but there's very little in law to suggest that Donald Trump's arguments that he enjoys, or any president enjoys, blanket immunity from prosecution is something that the Supreme Court is likely to recognise. Uh, Simon is in a courier in Greece. Hello, Simon. Yeah, I am. Hey, Good evening. Uh, my, my question is very simple, um, simple Simon, uh, and for Simon. Simon, who's going to win? <laughs> I knew, I thought it was going to be Ian Dale that asked that at the end of the programme, Simon, but you've snuck in under the wire. Uh, I, I think that right now, if the election was held tomorrow, Donald Trump would win the election. And that's not 
because he'd necessarily find a way on the national stage of overcoming the number of never-Trump voters out there. You have to remember that this election is going to be fought and won, like every presidential election, in the key battleground states. Those states that sometimes vote Republican, sometimes vote Democrat, but always determine the outcome of every presidential election. And Joe Biden is in difficulty in Florida. He's in difficulty in Michigan. We saw that this week. He's deeply unpopular there with the Arab American community and with the left-wing progressive community because of the stance that he's taken towards the crisis in the Middle East. All of that adds up to a narrowing set of opportunities for Joe Biden to get to that critical number, 270 votes in the Electoral College. Is it surmountable over time if things change in a variety of different areas here? Yes, it's surmountable. But right now, you would have to say that Donald Trump currently, based on all the polling, enjoys an advantage over Joe, Joe Biden. And that in and of itself is utterly stunning. Simon, thank you. Actually, Simon, t tell us who you think will win. Who, me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, in your own time my worst nightmare but i think i yeah i think trump will do it yeah Okay, thank you very much. Lorraine in Manchester says, A question for Simon. You're one of my very favourite US political commentators and I really enjoy listening to you with Ian James and Nick. What about Sheila? What about Tom? But what do you do in off-peak political season? Oh my God, you really don't want to know the answer to this, Lorraine. I've heard, <laughs> you, I've heard you do an excellent barbecue, but surely that doesn't occupy you entirely. Would you consider doing a podcast? Well, I do do a podcast, uh, Sheila, although it's not uh, a podcast in the uh, orthodox sense of the word. But you can uh, check out Simon Marks Reporting wherever you get your podcasts, which includes all of the various bits of reporting that I do for LBC, uh, including American Week with Tom Swarbrick every Friday at 10 to 6. Get a plug in for that weekly uh, uh, production. I'll be doing it tomorrow uh, afternoon. Uh, so check that out. I do barbecue a bit but not relentlessly. The great thing about being a Washington correspondent, as I have been now for 32 very long years, <laughs> is that there is never a dull day here. When Joe Biden won the election, lots of people said to me, what are you going to do? It's going to be really boring. And it hasn't been boring at all. And we've uh, been busy uh, as ever on a daily basis. So that you never wake up in Washington, D.C. without a story to cover. Someone here says, Simon Marks is the dog's... Grolocks. What a guest to have access to. And Tony says, I don't have a question for Simon, but a comment. I had no interest in or understanding of American politics before I came across Simon's superb, sanguine and accessible reporting. He has single-handedly sparked my interest and increased my knowledge immeasurably and i'm looking forward to november in a geeky way that i'd never have imagined of myself so a big thank you to simon marx that's tony and lester and so say all of us simon well thank you tony and lester i appreciate that and uh, with regard to that text i've been called worse well i i've got this feeling we should do this every month but uh, my people will talk to let's you do it we should do it every that. leap year certainly every leap year <laughs> Thank you very much, Simon. That's Simon Marks, our Washington correspondent.